Yes, welcome to For and Against, where we look at the big issues in sport off the field of play. I'm Paul Roach, and I'm joined by some very good friends and colleagues here at the desk. First, we have David Gill. G'day, Bear. G'day, Roachie. I'm having a holiday in lockdown this week, so I'm on holiday at home. Oh, excellent. Well, that's enough. There's uh, What else is there to do when you go on holiday in lockdown? Uh, followed by Simon Johnson. G'day, Jono. G'day, Roachie. Good to uh, see you again. And uh, piping in from Bleak City, we have Stephen Riley. G'day, Riles. Hey, Paul. Hey, everyone. And uh, look, with a bit of luck, some of us might actually be able to return to the desk, a.k.a. the studio, by the time next show rolls around. He's hoping. Um, and speaking of being let out, uh, good to get in early with a booking for the For and Against Christmas Party, Jono. Uh, good work with that regard. Uh, well done. And love the 3 2 1 voting system you use to determine the venue, too. Great it's work. always the, uh, one of the more important matters each year, Rochi, and sometimes one of the most controversial. <laughs> I'm glad we've got the booking. As... <laughs> All right, coming up in the show, brazenly leveraging off a recent Four Corners episode on same, we'll look at club ownership in Australian football and also consider the frequency of World Cups. We'll mull over the big footy grand finals as well as WADA's new attitude to cannabis, also the economics of shirt numbers, rugby's latest innovation and modernising the MCC. Of course, we'll wrap up the show with red card, yellow card, where we point the finger at all those questionable off-field behaviours across the sporting world, use the hash 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 card hashtag yeah go hashtag instead of rcyc if you see one to let us know and speaking of the socials get us on twitter at for and against underscore insta for dot and dot against and for the old schoolers we can get us on email for and against at hotmail.com Alrighty, let's get into the show Now, did you watch the recent Four Corners on the questionable ownership structures of some of our A-League clubs? Interesting show. So a quick recap for those that didn't uh, see the show or, or read the accompanying article. Centred on the lack of transparency and therefore potential good governance issues that uh, surrounded such things. So Melbourne City was highlighted. They're owned by the City Football Group, of course, the same group that owns Man City, uh, who in turn are owned by members of the royal family in Abu Dhabi and uh, have some questionable human rights accusations against them. Brisbane Raw, owned by the Indonesian Bakri Group, the current head of the board of directors of that holding company, had been jailed recently for impeding an investigation into match-fixing in Indonesia. In Indonesia. And Adelaide United was an interesting one, has some Dutch backers who insist on remaining anonymous. So, I don't know, Rude Gullit uh, or uh, Aussie Goose, has anyone seen them lately? Maybe those guys are behind it. Um, accusations of. I'd be embarrassed. Well. Harsh. So, look, accusations of some good old fashioned uh, sports washing there, obviously. So, did you guys have a chance to look at it, uh, Simon, Stephen, David, at all? Have a chance to look at it, read the article. Yeah, I, I, I did. I did uh, watch it, Rochi, and I guess um, I, I guess football has never been necessarily associated with good governance. So it's it's good that the questions are being asked. And I think one of the themes that that came through in the show was sports fans are sports fans. They're generally more interested in what's happening on the field than anything that's happening off it, but. 
maybe that's starting to change and environmental and social responsibility that has uh, been a big thing in the corporate world for the last decade is seeping its way, trickling its way so slowly, mm-hmm. um, but surely into the, into the football world. Look, that's true. That's true. Um, and I'm, I'm glad, right? There's got to be a bar. I'm glad it's somewhere. But I do think sport's got a long history of questionable types wanting to rub shoulders with the, the, the shiny sporting uh, superstars. It's part of so, what it's all about, isn't it? Jono, did you catch it at all? Didn't catch it, Rochi, but I certainly followed it and read the article. I, I hadn't appreciated this term sports washing, which mm. you, you threw around. But, yeah, that was quite interesting, I thought. So, you know, taking the positive attributes that are associated with sport and shady business characters, um, you know, wanting to associate associate themselves that, that way. So it's a, a new word for my vocabulary, which is oh, very right. interesting. Well, it won't be the last time you hear that, that's for sure. Look, um, let's bring in a guest. Joining us now is Simon Phillips, a barrister who has represented professional athletes, is the current president of the Sydney Uni Football Club and is a member of various FFA New South Wales disciplinary and dispute resolution bodies. Simon, welcome to the show. Thanks, guys. Great to be here. Um, So, Simon, a lot of the social media commentary after the recent Four Corners on the ownership of our peak football clubs was was that this wasn't news to those who follow football. Is, is that a fair call? Absolutely. And uh, I should say, while I um, completely uh, agree with some of the commentary that was in the program about some of the, uh, and some of the footage that was there about how horrendous some of the human rights uh, records are of, in particular, uh, the Abu Dhabi regime that was focused on, particularly in, in that program, uh, the lifetime, lifelong, and I don't want it in any way, uh, um, Toned down the reaction that there should be as Amnesty International was on that show, you know, quite rightly pointing out to, to drawing attention to all of that. As a lifelong uh, football fan who's been involved at, in the administration of the game at various different levels, um, it, it is really a case of, well, so what? <laughs> sort of, uh, uh, it, it, that really was not much news. Uh, a storm, not even really a storm in your teacup. And, uh, you know, uh, uh, if you start as a code, and not only just football, um, you know, sports generally, as, as you guys have mentioned, um, if you start going refusing sponsorship uh, or refusing, you know, contributions from uh, uh, bodies, uh, sponsors that have, you know, less than squeakly, squeaky clean, then uh, there really would be, uh, especially the second tier, there, there would be uh, not, not a lot of uh, semi-professional professional sport. Simon, you, meant, you, you mentioned, you know, the concept of, of, of sports washing and that being um, particularly prevalent in sports generally and definitely in football in Australia. And I think one of the one of the points that was made on the show was that it's actually it's it's very difficult, especially in a in a small football market like Australia. It's very difficult to make money out of running a professional team. And that really I, w- I would think heightens the risk of um, so-called sports washing. Yeah, absolutely. And I mean, you know, something that I've been watching in, in recent times uh, to give an example of that, uh, which others may have seen in the financial press, is this uh, what, what used to be maybe called a, a colourful racing identity, mm-hmm. maybe another in terms of that colourful football identity, Mr. Pappas, who is having a nice uh, holiday in uh Greece and somehow seems to be kept missing his flight mm. um, to come back to have a chat to the liquidators. Before uh, he has a nice holiday in the uh, the Long Bay Hilton, perhaps. Yes. Now, I mean, there's a great example of something where, you know, he, by the looks of thing, him and his, his foreign, foreign finance group have cont- contributed 
you know, significant amounts of money to, I think, Sydney Olympic and uh, possibly Marconi at the, the state league level in, in New South Wales, as well as Xanthi FC in the Greek uh, Super League, which has been a home away from home for people like um, uh, 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 Ange Postacoglu, I think, even coached there. And, you know, it's been a stepping stone to Europe for not only coaches but players. Now, now they're things where, where just at a purely football level, those clubs have really done very well as a result of that um, money that's been contributed. And there's a, you know, if you start taking a holier than now uh, attitude, there's a real question, a nice question about whether clubs should be turning down uh, contributions, depending on, you know, do they have an obligation to go checking into where exactly that money's come from, you know, is it ill-gotten gains or not or, or otherwise. And that's just but one example of, uh, you know, that sort of sports washing idea that um, has been has been ever thus. Simon, you um, you mentioned at the outset it's it wasn't a surprise, and you referred to I guess governance, or and I think the inference there was that uh, football in Australia has traditionally you know struggled somewhat when it comes to good governance. How do you think it compares as a sporting code to some of the the other sports in Australia? Uh, is it still lagging behind? At the national level, uh, certainly the old NSL was notorious uh, for being virtually a governance-free zone. I think it's fair to say after a, 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 um, a, a fairly good, you know, A-League's been around for 16 years now and it's obviously had a bit of a restructure and there's a question mark uh, about the, the, the long-term financial viability, but it's I think it's fair to say, it was, well, it was kind of ironic in one sense, but that... Um, you know, on a lot of levels, governance, at least at the A-League level, within football is in root health. It's been a lot, it's a lot better than it was 20 years ago. Um, and, and I think that probably, at least my experience within New South Wales, is that while it's a long way from being perfect, uh, it's certainly a lot better than it used to be. Um, a lot better than it used to be. Uh, uh, and, and for a sport which still at that level doesn't have, you know, huge amounts of money, <laughs> despite others, you know, contributions, uh, it, it, he doesn't do too badly, um, and and there, there there has been a, a you know there's been a lot of good things that have been adopted at the, at that state league level um, over the last ten to ten to twenty years in terms of you know financial security and disclosure uh, and things like agreements that are signed between clubs, guarantees that are given, etc. Uh, I suppose I've got, you know, from the not too distant past, and and um, David may also even remember a couple of these names. You know, remember a couple of clubs. Uh, that were kicking around in the state leagues in the late 90s, early 2000s, like the aptly named Fairfield Bulls, who played out of Nineveh Field. And uh, in particular, uh, I can mention these clubs because they're long since gone, but the, the famous Sydney Crescent star who uh, emerged out of nowhere, went up four divisions in five years uh, uh, and then got relegated from the top division and just disappeared, literally disappeared. <laughs> Never seen again. You know, that kind of complete absence, as I said, governance-free zone, um, there, there's not nearly as many of that, at least from my experience, uh, within the, at least football, uh, and I think probably across uh, codes more generally, uh, at least in, in that semi-professional New South Wales level. Hey, Simon, uh, I can get how they come in, right? I, I can understand that. Um, and I can appreciate... Well, I can understand why, why football officials, you know, let you know they they don't judge on right. the way in there who are they to know they they're not money laundering experts they're not human rights experts i i can understand at the beginning maybe i i think in a bunch of 
situations I probably don't understand. But let's just give them the benefit of the doubt for a second. Have we had any examples where they have found out and and someone's actually pulled the trigger on a spot and said, you know, I'm sorry, that's just a little too much? Well, I can't think of any example no, me neither. at the top of my head. <laughs> but I, I suppose it because, and that in one sense is a good way of putting it, you know, being realistic. I mean, you know, in rugby league, the Winfield Cup sponsored for, you know, grand finals for 20 years, you know, and it was only when the ban- cigarette ban- bans came in, um, you know, the, the advertising came in that that all that all disappeared. Um, you know, you weren't going to get clubs turning down money, um, you know, from what is, is uh, an entity sponsoring what was a legal product. And I think a similar thing, particularly in England, relates to gambling. You know, half the English Premier League clubs, or at least I think mm. the Championship clubs, um, that they've actually uh, the gambling bodies that I think at one point about eight or ten years ago, it was almost half of Premier League clubs had, had either as a major sponsor or a significant sponsor, um, uh, you know, some sort of gambling entity. Now, my, from observation, actually, the, the, the sports washing, uh, uh, human rights laundering behemoths like, you know, the Abu Dhabi regime and, and um, the, the Qataris and, and the, all the various different, you know, and there's, uh, there's no monopoly on it from within um, uh, Middle Eastern countries. <laughs> it comes from all around the world. They've actually raised the bunch of what they're prepared to contribute. So the, the gambling companies have sought are more um, uh, uh, easier pickings, I think, in the championship. But that's a real issue, you know. Um, and I think it's also potentially um, got uh, uh, an issue in the US where the gambling um, laws are just, you know, lo- lo- um, being more relaxed. Mm. Uh, and you won't you won't see American sporting franchises refusing <laughs> to, to take the gambling company's money uh, on moral grounds. Mm. Um, just looking at the, take, looking through the international lens again, Simon. So it occurs to me that part of, as Gilly said at the beginning, it seems to be football soccer that's, that tends to get dragged into these sort of questionable practices and behaviours and, and they're let go and, you know, FIFA's been under significant uh, investigation in recent times and it's still hardly perfect. Is it... Uh, is it the fact that it's the world game and therefore has so much scrutiny or is it um, the fact that, that, say, it's powered by money? A lot of leagues and a lot of sports these days tend to have a salary cap. And I know the A-League has a salary cap. Yeah. But, you know, predominantly, I'm happy to be corrected on this, but, you know, international football, international club football, tends not to have a salary cap. And so there's kind of, you know, no limit to how much you can spend. And so you do need billionaire um, yeah. Qatari or Abu Dhabi royal families to come in and, and take a, a team like Man City and have them world beaters. Yeah, and in one sense, that's a it's a symbiotic relationship because when you don't have a salary cap, you've got these huge expenses. Those kind of entities that have got access to almost unlimited funds, mm. uh, you know, the Premier League is, is probably par excellence the best way um, <laughs> to get bang for your buck, bang for your sports washing buck. Um, now, now, I'm not absolutely uh, on top of this, but take the Bundesliga for example which has got much stricter uh, uh, financial mm. um, caps and things. And my recollection is I don't think there is any uh, major uh, foreign, uh, what might call, be called sports washing kind of entity going on in the Bundesliga. And I, I, I must admit I should know this, but I don't know if that's because they actually have moral, morality kind of limits as well as as financial limits in terms of sponsorship. Gilly might um, know something about that. Well, I think... Well. 
I think, sorry, Gil, if I could jump in quickly, I think that Bundesliga clubs, all clubs, have a requirement to be at least 51% owned by the members. Yes, that's yeah, certainly right. They all member-owned. I think there are a few exceptions, but that's that's always what's made German football different, and it's 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 a very healthy competition. But, of course, it's a great market as well. It's a big, wealthy country with, um, yeah. with huge fan support, so those clubs are financially in probably much better shape. Uh, like German companies, um, are in much better shape than their, their counterparts around the world. Uh, and I suppose the one at an international level point I really would like to stress is, I mean, you've got the police entity in this, the, 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 the regulatory body, FIFA. <laughs> I mean, we're having the World Cup in Qatar next year. <laughs> uh, you know, I mean, it's, FIFA is hardly well-placed. To, to, you know, it's it's the worst, and and you know, one of a couple of the people that were on the four corners program have been, you know, particularly vocal and rightly so in terms of criticising Australia's World Cup bid and you know uh, uh, FIFA as a basically, you know, uh, being kind in you know governance free zone in terms of, or at least morality free zone, <laughs> uh, and so you know in circumstances where the showpiece of world football is going to be conducted. Uh, you know, in Qatar in November next year, and all the stuff that happens happens on the back of that. Um, you know, it's hard. The kind of allegations that were being raised against those the sponsors in of Australian football really pale uh, pale into insignificance in that in that context. So, Simon, I, I, I suppose it's a little bit a, a case of for for the A League in particular that yes, good to ask questions and start to uh, maybe improve standards. But also, you, you do you do need to have a pinch of reality with yeah. that, and and beggars really can't be choosers. Yeah, yeah, uh, I agree with that, and I, I suppose call it out for you know, in one sense, uh, that that program did have you know did have considerable benefits because it gave people an opportunity to call it out for what it does seem to be, which is I think sports washing is the the, the great word trying to burnish an image <laughs> by by purchasing and associating um with with a with a brand and if you know if you at least were able in this country to make criticism along uh, like that without any fear of you know reprisal so that's one healthy one healthy aspect you can certainly see i think the alternative argument can't you i mean what is wrong with foreign ownership there's no foreign investment review board or firm that applies to any of these investments you know, why should clubs be moral guardians? As you say, you know, the rugby league and overseas clubs have had gambling sponsorships, cigarette sponsorships in the past. Is there really that big an issue here? Yeah, um, uh, that's probably my, my take in, in, in a slightly cynical way. Um, but, uh, you know, as, as a sport, um, you know, you should be able to take take the money <laughs> and it does you know it has been able to be i mean if you look at melbourne city's training facilities for example and they really have taken the bar to a new level they they really have been really important in terms of driving standards sydney fc probably the same both of those clubs have been criticized you know in terms of having shady owners in the, in the eyes of the um the, those that were commenting on that program but yeah, they have really pushed the bar big time um, in terms of improving the quality of the league, and they're only able to do that because of the money that, that has been injected by those by their owners. So, look, that that I get that, but uh, you go back to the Winfield Cup, you know, and the Benson and Hedges Cup, you know, the the arguments uh, against banning tobacco sponsorship were, well, where's the money going to come from? And and I think it's you know, it would be the same with gambling. 
is is football in Australia missing a trick here by doing the right thing and saying we're not going to let that money dictate to us? Is it possible that they could actually attract more money that way? That they they could you know get some leverage out of the high ground? Uh, well, um, I think the short answer is is no. <laughs> uh, uh, you know, be, in, in, not least in Australia. I mean, that's where it is a different sort of kettle of fish in, in Europe, where football is the predominant activity. <laughs> um, here, you know, the A League, uh, while it is you know on the improve after a bit of you know depressing couple of years, um, it is fourth tier. Um, you know, there's not uh, a lot of uh, spare cash lying around. <laughs> the, the clubs are not sport for choice in terms of sponsorship or own capital injection. So, short answer to your question: to take the moral high ground would would be financially disastrous. Mm. Yeah, and, and I think if it's a case of if it's not, if if either the FFA or government um, aren't you know uh, putting controls or stopping this in place, then very hard to see why a club would, you know, you could be signing its own death knell if it says, no, no, we're not going to take your money. Mm. Such are the conundrums of uh, running, a, running a professional club, sporting league and so on and so forth. Simon, um, before we say goodbye, uh, the FIFA World Cup, every two years or every four years, where do you sit? Uh, every four years, maximum. And, uh, you know, uh, uh, yeah, absolutely. I mean, bad enough it's been Qatar next year. Imagine all the different places that um, it could be if it's every two years. It's, it's been debauched, debased enough already. And I think if it goes to, if, there's, if they go to two years, just forget it. I certainly won't be watching. Or, 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 or I'm looking forward to World Cup 2026 uh, very much. I I'm, I'm probably won't watch much of it next year. Um, I certainly won't be going anywhere near it but uh, in 2022, but I'm looking forward to it in 2026 uh, and hopefully 2030 as well. And I hope that it stays every four years uh, uh, and uh, it would be ridiculous. I mean, even for FIFA, like FIFA's bare, very bad track record of making monumentally stupid decisions, switching every two years would be up there in the top three or four. Ah, oh, no, 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 no. That's ridiculous. If it was every two years and you missed Qatar, you could you know, watch it when it's, you know, the, the finals in Melbourne two years later. Every two years, we, we just talked about the, the money making the world go around. The World Cup is where all the federations get their money from. It Maybe it could make the world better. Yeah, to, to, to quote Syndrome or paraphrase Syndrome from The Incredibles, when, it, when, when everyone's special, no one's special, I think if you have it, the World Cup is special because it is only every four years and because it's mm. hard to get into. Um, you make it easier. They're already going to 48 teams. You have 48-team World Cup every two years. People will switch off in droves. I like the quote or at least the paraphrasing. All right, Simon, we'll leave it there. Simon, thanks very much for joining us on the show. No much problem. appreciated. Simon Phillips there, uh, barrister and also president of the Sydney Uni Football Club, uh, joining us on the show. And, fellas, just very quickly, your own opinions on two years versus four years? Four years, Reggie. Four years, yep, same. Riles, you've already pinned your colours to the mast. Gilly, the traditionalist? Yeah, four years is uh, four years all the way. And even 48 teams is ridiculous is, and is going to lead to a number of games and where match fixing potential is out of control but you know that's something that fifa specializes in so you um, people you have no vision you get two years stick with 32 teams it's hard to get into there's a bit of a rotation through there you know i uh, tradition boggle my mind tradition tradition all right well um stay tuned (laughs) that'll be an interesting one to keep an eye on football 
On to the grand finals, and let's start with the AFL grand final. Look, if you're going to change the status quo, and in particular a long-standing tradition, then you need to have a damn good reason to do so. And the problem that the AFL has got is that saying the reason that they want to move the granny to a night grand final, that being money, saying that out loud just makes everyone squirm a bit. So, Gil, hands off. It's an afternoon game. I don't know, Rochie. I mean, I think COVID gave Gil the, the perfect opportunity here, didn't it? it? Did. Just to switch things up a little it bit, a, a Perth grand final as opposed to a Melbourne grand final. Um, under the cover of COVID, not the first person who slipped something in under the cover of COVID. I didn't mind it. I mean, I, I'm relaxed. Tradition, yeah, look, I, I appreciate it. It's been going on for how many years as an afternoon granny, as they say, but nighttime is where you get eyeballs in front of the TV. And nighttime is, um, it works out well. You get everything done during the day, sit in front of the TV at night, and away you go. See, I don't get you guys. I don't get you. Your festival, oh, World Cup, tradition, tradition, every four years, please. And then it's like, follow the money. Come on. I mean, What's well, this you guys' business? You're talking to Jono, Riles. I'm in the tradition camp here. Don't go wrapping me up in the uh, Jono camp here. As it turns out, I'm in the tradition camp as well. Ah. And, and I actually think if you play a long game on this, I'm also in the money camp because, mm. to my mind, if you have this as an afternoon game, then your kids can watch it, my kids can watch it, yep. they might enjoy it, they'll go play it, and they'll keep supporting it. Whereas if you put it on late at night, they miss the second half. Totally. Absolutely, and one of one of the great traditions of the afternoon grand final, especially when you're a kid, because let's face it, a game of AFL is pretty long and it is beyond the attention span of anybody under the age of 14. And one of the things I remember about grand final day when I was a kid was usually maybe, you know, late in the second quarter or maybe early in the third quarter, all the kids would go outside and start kicking the ball around the local park for about 45 minutes and then come back and watch the last 15 minutes. <laughs> That's not going to happen in a night grand final. The other problem I had with the night grand final was, as, and I'm, I'm now talking not as, a, not as a, a 12-year-old harking back to my memories, but as a, a, a late 40s older gentleman, I, um, I, I couldn't make, brilliant as the third quarter was, oh. I couldn't make the fourth quarter. I had to get up early the next morning to play golf. You're an embarrassment. An absolute embarrassment. I, 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 couldn't, I, couldn't, um, I couldn't make the final quarter. Sorry. Sorry well, Gil. I hate to say it, Dave, but um, 3.9 million other people managed to get through it. It was the highest rating uh, program of the year, the highest rating grand final in five years. Five years ago, it was the Bulldogs and the Swans, and probably the only reason that was high, high rating was because you had a whole bunch of extra New South Wales viewers. It's a success. Money talks. It will change. There is no doubt that in the next five years, there will be a night grand final. Ooh, want to put some money on that? Five years at the MCG? Yeah. Within, within five years? Yeah. Okay, we'll, we'll take... The 50 bucks, lunch. 50 bucks straight up. Okay, okay. We'll, we'll fine-tune details later on off-air. Off um, yeah, I, I think you're wrong because I, I think Steve's point is just too valid and there's too many people who want to keep it as it is. When you've got some of the big media people and some of the big ex-players you know, on social media insisting that it stays as a day grand final, there's too many traditions around the timing of a day grand final. They feel breakfasts and all that sort of jazz. The way the day unfolds, it's part of, it's part of the fabric of Melbourne. It's, you know, it's just, it, it, it can't be anything else. I think it's interesting to compare it to the rugby league, right? So the NRL sold that years ago. Yep. And, and, and they followed the money and, and, and they think they're doing the right thing. 
But I come back to, you know, is it just a short-term fix? And are you going to get the grassroots supported this way? And, and I just think when you look at where both games were 10, 20 years ago, they were both planning national, nationwide domination and only one of them's grown and that's, that's the one that kept its eyes on the, the grassroots and the daytime grand final. So when did, um, when did Rugby League sell out? When was their first night grand final? Because they've been playing night grand finals since they started at Homebush, which is 2000 basically, isn't it? Did they start before then? Questions without notice. That's a tough one, isn't it? It's been a while, is my understanding. Yeah, yeah. It's over. It's over twenty years. It's definitely been since Homebush. But anyway, and look, you know, Gilly, not being of a not dissimilar age to to yourself, seeing as we're we're being open and transparent about these things. I remember, of course, the days when I was a little chap uh, when the rugby league grand final was in the day, and that was you know part of the part of the uh, being able to watch it as a kid and you know there were certain traditions around that as well although i think that the aussie rules grand final has just far more tradition around it and far more institutions and um institutional kind of um, traditions around it as well um i was fascinated actually that um speaking of this sort of the battle league versus uh, afl that of course the storm prelim um did, actually tell me this has rugby league always Cop called their eight-team final system the same as the AFL, or did they copy them? Because prelims have been an, an Aussie rules term for years, but rugby, how long has rugby league had prelims for? I think they've copied the Aussie rules on this. Yeah? Do Yeah, I mean, it's the, the game before the grand final, isn't it? So it's the, effectively the grand final qualifying game. Yeah, so the naming, conve- the naming the convention that rugby league uses to, for their finals is a copy of the Aussie rules. Yeah, I don't think I don't think you're right about that. Okay. I think I think uh, back to the final five um, in the rugby league. Mm. The, the week before was always the preliminary final. Was it? I, think it? I mean, to me, the weirdness is that the weekend before these days is still called the preliminary final. It, it should be a semi-final. It yeah. should be. Yeah. But it, it ain't. But anyway. that goes back to the final five when it was working its way. You know, one week at a time, you'd have the the bottom one drop off. Mm. Anyway, back to my the point that I was originally trying to make. Um, I was interested to see that the Melbourne Storm prelim uh, was shunted time zone wise, so it didn't clash with the AFL Grand Final. I was disappointed to see Peter Peter Vlandis not willing to take it up the middle and take on the Aussie Rules Grand Final head to head. Very disappointed by that. Smart play from Peter. I think it would have got uh, completely <laughs> smashed left, right, and centre. He's a smart guy. He's a smart. He knows when to when to fight, and he knows when to run away. And I was disappointed they didn't take take a chunk of the G over to Perth this time. You know, it was good enough for the Gabba, but not for um, you know the new Perth Stadium. Very disappointed they didn't do that. Um, they they plan to take a chunk of Homebush up to Lang Park. I haven't really heard anything along those lines. Not too sure. If it goes ahead of Lang Park, I know as we go to digits, it's it's all up in the air, isn't it? Well, that's true. That's true. Yeah. Um, anyway, I'm all for sticking the grand final to the Aussie Rules Grand Final to daytime for what that's worth. Any f- anything further on that point? No. All done. All closed. Thank you very much. Decision made. On to the shootout now where we like to cover a, a few more topics in slightly quicker fashion. Um, the economics of shirt numbers. Now, um, bit. This new Manchester United recruit, Cristiano Ronaldo, how old is this guy? Because it wasn't it 12 years ago or something that he played for Man U for something like six years? 
Yeah, he's 36 years old. You wouldn't believe it, but he is in fact 36 years old. Uh, and I, I, <clears throat> I guess, I guess we get into talking about the the uh, famous number seven shirt and the fact that when he unexpectedly returned at the beginning of the season, the, the the number seven shirt had been taken by another player, and that presented a a, a number of problems. Um, one was uh, Cristiano's ego; the other was <laughs> his CR seven brand mm. uh, and then also the the kind of mythical importance of the number seven at manchester united uh and if you look this all started with george best in the 60s brian robson wore the number seven shirt david beckham wore the number seven shirt eric Cantona wore the number seven shirt mm. and cristiano ronaldo uh did as well when in, in his first stint at manchester united so it was worn uh at the start of the season by Edenson Cavani, who you know is a well-known Uruguayan player, but certainly not the most famous player ever to wear the shirt. Uh, it's never been done uh, to to change a squad number during a Premier League season, uh, but an exception has been made. because you're, you're not allowed. I think is that isn't that right? Oh, it's not so much that you're not allowed, but you have to. You actually have to go to the league for approval, and nobody had ever asked for approval in the past. But when you look at the figures here, I mean, this is, this is a staggering statistic. Ronaldo joined, rejoined Man United probably less than a month ago. In that time, they have sold 187 million pounds of oh. Ronaldo Whoa. Manchester United shirts. Um, Messi, as we all know, moved from Barcelona to Paris Saint-Germain. He's come in. He's, he's generated a measly 104 million. Pounds. <laughs> I mean, that's 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 the kind of money we're talking about, and and why an exception was made in in this case. But Messi's the um, Messi's a good bloke, you see. He's come in at number 30, as I understand it. You know, he he could have taken number 10, which is the jersey he was wearing at Barcelona, but he's been prepared to to take a lowly uh, number 30, which, as I understand it, is the jersey he wore when he first played for Barcelona as a 17 or 18 year old. So it just shows that, you know, Messi's a far, far better bloke than Cristiano in CR7. Well, very important um, to note though, that all uh, all fans who purchased a Cavani number seven at the start of their season, at the start, the start of the season, will be entitled to a full refund. So if I had one of those shirts, I'm not sure how many were sold, probably about 17. If I had one of those 17, I'd be holding on to it. Oh, there'd be Dave. a few in Uruguay. Dave, do you remember what number you had? When you played uh, way back at, at school for the, 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 the vaunted first 11? I sure do. It was number seven. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> and look, I think the school sold 100 million. Uh... <laughs> you see, this is where I'm, I'm going to here. Um, it's about more than money. Oh. More than money, my friends. Because I remember I was late to get down to the, uh, the change rooms to pick up, uh, to choose your number. For the jersey for the uh, the soccer team, and I got stuck with number eight. Is this you guys just bragging you were in the first eleven? Can you uh, guys get uh, over little, yourselves? For me, because Dave's had a much 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 higher performing uh, uh, soccer career than I have. But number eight was like, what am I going to do with this? <laughs> Where, where's the where's the passion going to come from? This, this Ronaldo's not doing it for the money, not for the one hundred and eighty million pounds. None of that. He's doing it for love. He's doing it for identity. He's doing it for Brian Robson. So, so Gilly, you reckon the value of those shirts, the Cavani shirts, will uh, will have increased exponentially? Maybe in Uruguay? Maybe in the Uruguayan market? I, I think there'll be like a, there'll be a uh, 
uh, what, uh, what's the right word here? There would be a, a sub-market. I know there's a better word here that I'm searching for. Um, a, in, the, in the sort of subcultures of um, football um, tra- tragicism, uh, those, <laughs> those will be valuable. There is, just very quickly, there's a, there is a, um, there's a US analogy. I'm not sure if you're aware, but um, so Brett, Tom Brady, when he switched from the Patriots to the Buccaneers, so he'd always played in the number 12 jersey, and he's got this... Um, Health and wellness brand. Um, what is it? T TB twelve. TB twelve, possibly. Yeah, possibly. Um, and he, so he initially, very similarly, wasn't going to be allowed to have number twelve because they had a wide receiver. I think Chris Godwin was his name, who played in number twelve. And again, Tom. So the story goes, said, "Well, I'm happy for Chris to keep the number twelve, but um, I think a side deal might have been done between Tom and Chris, whereby Tom ended up getting the number twelve when he switched to the Buccaneers. So it's not without precedent, Rochi. Mm. without precedent at all. Mm. Jolly good. Well, it's nothing like a bit of rare memorabilia because I'm the proud owner of a 2020 Melbourne Formula One Grand Prix Coldy holder. Of course, that event never went ahead. So I'm happy to take bids via any of our social, usual social media channels. On to uh, rugby. Look, rugby's been a little overrepresented in recent shows, but, geez, they've given us plenty of material, the latest being the recent news that they'll be running their answer to the IPL, uh, insert confused emoji here, the Twelves. Yes, if cricket can have three versions of itself, I refuse to recognise this the, the hundred thing for the time being, then, uh, hey, why can't we, says rugby. Uh, also says rugby, or at least the organisers of the Twelves, World 12s is a natural evolution for Rugby Union. We feel that this is a game for our changing, fast-paced world. Well, Rugby might say that, but Rochi says that is a load of tosh. What a silly idea. Great idea. Um, I just think they've got a few things wrong. I think they should add one more player and make a 13, and they should do away with the ruck and let one team keep the ball for six tackles. And I think they're, they're onto something. <laughs> I think you're missing the bigger strategy here, right? You've got you got 15 aside for you know the the the, the, the usual World Cup. Then you've got seven aside for the Olympics. 12 aside is going to get them, you know, a really prime posse in the Commonwealth Games. Huh. And, and, then I, and then I think they're going to maybe look for uh, nine aside. No, that's already taken by Rugby League. Mm. Uh, they're going to go for, what, maybe five aside? No, that's taken mm. already. Okay, 11 aside. No. Uh, yeah. Okay. yeah Seven, out of, 18 aside. Oh, oh. <laughs> running out of options. Well, they reckon it's going to get them uh, 50 million, uh, yeah, 50 million no. pounds a year for five years. That's what they're, they, they're speculating. And it's a franchise kind of arrangement. I don't think it's it's fanciful. I'm not even sure it'll go ahead, frankly. But um, yeah, good luck with that one. I think the actual, I think World Rugby actually sort of said, um, "Where are you going to fit this in?" Not this similar to the IPL experience. Uh, I, I think it'll go the same way as the as that 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 fantastic AFL initiative, the AFLX. What a great experiment that was. At least that actually got off the ground for a season or two. And look, let's talk WADA. Um, the World Anti-Doping Agency said it will review the status of cannabis on its banned substance list. So this review will be in 2022. Um, the ban will remain in place for at least that year while that review uh, occurs, as you might imagine. But it is encouraging for mine that WADA is starting to realise that their remit is not in fact law enforcement or even some sort of moral policing, but fighting the use of performance-enhancing substances. That's their job, right? That's their job. Controversial. Don't always stare at me in silence. Mm -hmm. Hard to see how um, cannabis could be regarded as performance enhancing, of course. Indeed. um, Yeah, look, 
interesting and topical, I suppose, with some of the recent scandals involving some Australian sports stars uh, and WAGs as well in recent <laughs> times. Um, but yeah, I mean, if you look at the Melbourne Storm players who have recently found themselves falling foul of um, some social media uploads and Reese Walsh from the Warriors, um, this is outside of, um, I guess, outside of playing times. But again, you know, should should these players be, be tested for social drugs? It's a pretty controversial one. Why is it controversial? Why are they tested? If it's not performance enhancing, it's none does of our business. Co- does it cover up performance enhancing drugs? If it does, then they should be on the ban list, but there's nothing to suggest that they do. You think, you think they do it just for the image of the game, yep. the image of the sport? Yeah, yeah. And that's not enough for you? No, no. Well, it may have been, it may have been enough back in, in the 80s during, you know, the... The, the Reagan era just say no to drugs, but I think mm. I think the world's moved on from there. And I'm not condoning the use of any um, illegal substances in saying that, but I think that the world has moved on from that mentality, and it it, it doesn't make sense. So cannabis, um, MDMA. I mean, I really struggle to see how that would help any sportsman um, perform uh, competently um, in any way. And I think in this case, you know, the the, the US athlete. The, the sprinter whose situation prompted the rethink. Mm. I, I think she had just lost her mum or a close yeah, family member. You know, she made a mistake and it had nothing to do with performing better in the Olympics. And as a result, you know, she's she's paid a very, very um, harsh uh, penalty for, for what is a pretty minor indiscretion. Mm. To your point, Dave, if they're stupid enough to do something like that, to do, you know, to, to ingest stuff that... <clears throat> surely can only have a deleterious effect on your performance, um, then the, the punishment is, is itself. There's no need for WADA to get involved. It's clearly not performance enhancing, and surely that should be WADA's remit. Maybe breakdancing. Maybe they will need to have an exception. <sighs> Don't get me started. <laughs> Don't get me started, fair income. Now, folks, this is a show of nuance, so if you only see things in black and white, it's a good time to turn off now because we're going to talk about the modernisation of language within cricket brought about by changes at the MCC, uh, where they have decided to ditch the term batsman and replace with batter. Now, I'm all for inclusive language, but where it hurts me is this butts up hard against one of my pet hates, the Americanisation of our language. And I'm just—I'm sure I'll get used to it, but geez, I'm struggling at the moment with this change. You got to—you um, got to do the math on this, Rich. Shut up, Johnson. <laughs> <laughs> I, I just want to know what, how, how are the commentary team going to cope with this? I mean, can you imagine Warney and Co. Mm. talking about batters coming in? I just—I can't see it. Might be a bit of a, um, a revolution in the commentary box. A bit of a, um, a resistance, resistance in the commentary box. It'll be interesting. Would you be okay with bat person roaching? That's a job, yeah. Or bat, no. per ch- bat per child, obviously, if you want to do it properly. Now, there's got to be a, an S after the, the bat. Bats per child. Ah, um, bats yeah. per children. Yeah, right, but, yeah. Look, I, I think you've got to get over it, Paul, because it's dated mm. and in, and you might even find yourself turning batter, batter, batter swing, and that uh, might be okay. I, I think a, a more challenging set of questions is what to do with a position like third man, which never made any sense mm. in the first place. But what are you going to call it now? Third person doesn't work. Uh, <laughs> I, I think the, don't the girls just call the women, sorry, the women cricketers, um, don't they just refer to it as third? Feeling down at third? 
Do they? Yeah. Uh-huh. What, what do the women cricketers think of the? I'm just sort of um, looking at the at the studio window at my uh, expert uh, women's cricketer, but uh, can't can't get any help there. Um, I think they just referred to as third. They've already dropped the man bit off uh, off that anyway. Um, but look, interesting in the same sort of vein. Interesting to see that the um, we talked football earlier on. A little bit more football here inserting. Uh, its way into the show because the W League is no more. So the APL, Australian Premier Leagues, whoever it is now that that runs uh, the A League, have ditched the W League name and it's now A League Men and A League Women. So um, I wonder if that puts a bit of pressure on the AFL. They're a bit of a different kettle of fish, but it just sort of turns up the dial a little bit on the AFL who insists on calling it AFLW. Um, interesting challenge. I think, change. I think they'll change, but uh, I think at the moment it, it sort of works for marketing purposes and benefits the sport. But uh, it, it, this is the way all the sports have to go. No mm. doubt about it. Yeah, yeah. Look, and as I said at the top, it's it's um, uh, all for inclusive language. Oh, but just that Americanization really pains me. Hey, what this is? This has been a really principled show, hasn't it? <laughs> a lot of high-minded, self-righteous sanctimony going on around here. I mean, I was right the whole time, of course. But, but yeah, really interesting listening to you guys thinking you know, better than everyone else. Still got red card, yellow card. I'll bring it down a notch. Don't worry. <laughs> Thank God for red card, yellow card. Speaking of, let's go into red card, yellow card. Alrighty, red card, yellow card. Yes, where we love poking fun at indiscretions off the field of play by our uh, our sporting types. Uh, well, Jono, you've you've invited uh, yourself effectively to lead off there. Help us help us bring things back to normality. Don't mind if I do, Rachi. Um, look, you're going to be shocked to know that I'm going to be talking golf. Okay, uh, Gilly, uh, can we just go to you now? <laughs> Golly, Ryder Cup. You know the one of the highlights, biennial uh, America versus Europe. The uh, young alpha Americans won 19-9. Um, the highlight for me was actually the drunken celebrations afterwards. So the way it works, Reggie, uh, I know you're a big Ryder Cup fan, you'd be all over this. But um, on the final day, all 12 players from either side play each other. It's called the singles format. Now, unfortunately for the Europeans, the result was pretty much a done deal by this final day because Europeans had done so badly in the first two days. And so I think pretty much after the third or fourth match on this final day, it was all done and dusted. So it meant that the, the remaining seven, eight or nine matches were a procession. And each time a match finished, that player who finished basically got stuck into the champagne and the beers and the sponsors' products and started following the remaining matches. Um, the crowds were demanding that their heroes skull various beers and other um, other drinks. And so you saw players like Justin Thomas, Colin Morikawa, Brooks Kupka, Dustin Johnson, all dutifully um, doing that. It meant by the time they got to the press conference, after everything had been done and dusted, they were legitimately <laughs> hammered. It really was quite hilarious. And uh, I commend our listeners to have a look at some of the YouTube footage of um, the conference. You had unfiltered, drunken commentary from the whole team. Colin Morikawa, who is you know, known as the quiet, studious young champion, swigging from a magnum of Moe. Xander Shoffley smoking a stogie and drinking beers. And Dustin Johnson was barely able to speak in his answers. Is stogie but, a code word for something or is that a brand name that I just don't know about? A cigar. Oh, okay. A cigar. Right, yeah. But the finale, I think, and one of the great things was when uh, one of the players, I think it was Justin Thomas, demanded that the two great rivals, Bryson and Brooks, who, who legitimately hate each other and have um, a serious rivalry, but they were forced to come together as teammates, they had to hug it out on national TV. So 
They, of course, did that in an overt display of beer-soaked American machismo. You know, you know, Paul, for the longest time, I've seen him resist. I've seen This is the closest I've ever seen him to enjoying a story about golf. I might, I might actually go and look at those YouTube clips, Jono. Yeah, you've inspired me to look at something vaguely golf-related. Um, however, you need to come to some sort of nomination of a card. I'm very confused as to where this is the, going. So the Americans are hard to like at the best of times. I mean, they play great sure. golf, but given that this is off the field, I, and yeah. I don't like them that much, so I'd give them a red for the whole team. The Yanks, right, okay. Red yeah. card, good stuff, nice one. Um, Gilly, what do you got? Well, Roachie, when it comes to behaviour of this kind, these American golfers are amateurs compared to Australia's own rugby league players. And Simon alluded to the story of Cameron Munster, Brandon Smith and Chris Lewis earlier tonight. Uh, and this was the, the kind of now traditional grainy video footage, obviously shot mm. on somebody's phone in a kind of inconspicuous way. So nobody else in the room realised that this person was filming something on their on their phone. But uh, it featured two of these players, Cameron Munster and Brandon Smith, um, sitting around a table, and on that table there were sorry, sus- suspicious white powder, lines of that powder, mm. that powder in a bag. Um, didn't look good. Um, this has happened so many times now in rugby league that my my first instinct um, was yellow cards for all concerned. But I I stayed with the video for the um, beyond the first thirty seconds, and it then featured um, some magnificent footage of Cameron uh, Cameron Munster shirtless. Um, dancing on the table <laughs> and look he's a very talented football player but <laughs> not much chop as a dancer and I think well for him great guns great pecs great abs sure red card for the dancing Ooh, more red lots of red cards here good stuff all right Roz. I have it on good authority that he's actually training to be in the uh, breaking uh, break dancing sport at the oh, next Olympics. So <laughs> you're you're annoying me. I know yeah. you know. I know you're doing it deliberately. That was the goal. All right. No, I'm going AFL. I'm going AFL. Mm. They're not going to be outdone by uh, you know that little amateur northern you know same old same old. In fact, I'm going for someone that I reckon if we mined the archives, we'd find uh, Jaden Stevenson has been nominated before. He got formed, does he? Yeah, there was a little bit of he got suspended for gambling. Um, on the footy a couple of years ago. So, um, could have been, but, but this time even better. So he left Collingwood after uh, a couple of years after, after that incident and he joined North Melbourne, had a pretty good year this year, was sitting back, you know, they didn't make the, the, the eight, they're sitting back having a, a good time, you know, enjoying each other's company. Although I'm not quite sure how, anyway, um, he's had a few drinks and then he's decided that he's going to perform a little trick on his mountain bike off his back deck. Ah, uh, yes. Unfortunately, he's um, landed awkwardly. He's tried to walk it off. I'm all right, fellas. He said, no problem, no problem whatsoever. But you might want to call an ambulance. And, <laughs> and so off he's gone to the hospital. And, uh, yeah, fingers crossed that he makes it back in time for uh, next season. Good work. Colour of the card there, steve Look, I'm yeah. only going to be yellow, actually. I take it back. Yellow. We've got to give them room to, to grow. I think so. I think so. Well, look, uh, finally, I want to nominate... Rugby, the sport of rugby. And, and no, not for the innovation, inverted commas, of Rugby 12s, which we've covered. That's nothing compared to the abomination for mine that is this current trial wherein the red card is not a red card. Now, apparently this trial started in this year's Super Rugby Comp, so it tells you everything you need to know about my following 
of rugby this year that this has only just come to my attention with the commencement of this uh, loftily titled Rugby Championship, which I still reckon should be called the South Nations. Um, so a red card, I can't believe this. A red card is a red card is a red card, right? You're off for the rest of the game. You know, do not pass go, do not click 200, and certainly do not get replaced after 20 minutes. You have every colour of the rainbow at your disposal, rugby. If you want to give a long stint in the Sinbin, longer than 10 minutes, go, I don't know, somewhere between yellow and red, maybe orange. But the meaning of a red card is and must remain immutable. So in red card, yellow card, I nominate rugby for a red card for tinkering with the very meaning of a red card. <laughs> no. Denied. Yes. No. <laughs> and I give you it's a red, red card. card. A red okay. card. It's a red card. Off. That's it. I'm, give, I'm giving you a red card, but it's Why? okay because in 20 minutes someone else can come in and take your place <laughs> for the rest of the game. And and I think that that sort of thing solves the problem of really stupid refereeing decisions that oh. ruin games of rugby. So I think you, it's a great idea. So great your idea. way to uh, to 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 respond to poor refereeing is to undo. Hundreds of years of pan sporting tradition, if not regulation, that a red card is a red card. You're off, gone. That's I, it. Like, I like Stephen's idea. I think there's space in sport for a conditional red, and maybe not the way rugby's doing it now. Then make it a different colour. Stay with me, Rochi. Just stay with me. I'm staying. Conditional red, controversial. Put it out to the crowd, put it out to the teenagers <laughs> on Instagram. Vote <laughs> off or come back on. And you can come back on that way. Conditional red. I'm, I like it. I give you a red card as well. Not red. Red is final. Red is stopped. Red is gone. Red is all over. Red is, there's, there is no other meaning that can possibly be attached to a red card other than that's it. One player down for the rest of the game. Well, apparently not. <laughs> that's my problem. That's why I'm giving rugby a red card. I could go on, but I shouldn't because that's the end of the show with the end of red card, yellow card. Uh, so, look... Um, I suppose I better say goodbyes to, to I just can't believe you you're on board with that red car thing. Uh, Stephen Riley, fairly well to you. See you, Paul. I'll be back in twenty minutes. <laughs> David, oh, so you're my replacement, are you? Gilly, goodbye, mate. See you next time. I'll be back if picked. And Simon Johnson, Jono, uh, don't tell me you're on board with those other two clowns as well, are you? It's been such a principal show, Rochi. It's been great it to be It has. And goodbye from me, Paul Roach. Thanks for joining us. On for and against, don't forget get us on the socials for and against underscore and Twitter, and for dot and dot against on Insta, and we'll be back to do it all again in a month's time. Until then, it's bye for now.